This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon, whatever the case may be, where you're sitting right this very minute. I'm here in Southern California at 9 a.m. Uh, here live with Dr. Jeff Weber, host for the next 30 minutes. Here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. We are here for you. We're here for your pets. The advice is free. The conversation is free. No excuse not to join us. Uh, you can reach me a couple of ways. Good old-fashioned telephone, 877, toll free, 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Or better yet, log on to PetLifeRadio.com on your phone or computer. You go to shows. You scroll down to Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. You click on it, and there will be a link left to you there by Mark, our producer, directly to join us here on Zoom. And uh, the uh, it's fun. We get It's video. As I always say, as we're learning more and seeing more and more popularity of and the growth of telemedicine, you want to get used to it. Sitting in front of your phone, your computer, talking to your doctor, talking to a doctor. You know what? It's way better than Dr. Google. I mean, Dr. Google sensationalizes, you know, according to Dr. Google, half of your animals are going to be dying because they ate a Hershey's kiss. So, um, you know, we don't want to scare the you know what out of you. So um, even when your dog is losing, you know what out of him, uh, it freaks you out and uh, you lot of call. Oh, my God, my dog has blood in his poop. Oh, my God, what am I going to do? He's dying. No, he's not dying. So uh, anyway, give us a call. We'll talk about it. And uh, so find your telemedicine platform that you like. It's great. And this is the best way to practice right here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. So as you know, you know, it's interesting. I always have an, uh, something I wanted to talk about. And now for some reason, because of Zoom, because of the pandemic, which is great, I'm seeing a lot of new puppies and kittens, which is so cool because people are at home. They're left alone. They're going nuts. And they're, you know, their kids are staying away from them because they're driving them nuts. So then now they're getting pets so they could drive somebody else nuts. So anyway, you know, it's great. Pets, like one of the stories is about how the relief that pets give. But anyway, just so happens that the subject I wanted to talk to you about today was the very first warning, and that is a 10-year study coming out of my alma mater, University of California, Davis, number one vet school in the world, just, just so happens, linking dog breeds, sex, and age to risks of spay-neuter. So uh, we're going to talk about that. That's a heck of a subject. And things are changing. I mean, my recommendations from even 10 years ago are already different and way different than they were 30 years ago. So um, uh, they say that every five years, half of what we knew to be gospel is now obsolete. So um, very things change. Very, and hey, even with what we're knowing about COVID-19, I just read an article again, again about the uh, hydroxychloroquine. And like, oh, my God, it was a savior. Now they're saying... It's a waste. It does nothing. So uh, anyway, this is how fast things change. So um, we're going to skip to number two. That is new diets, GI, gastrointestinal disease. 80% of dogs with lymphocytic plasmacytic enteritis, which is a inflammatory bowel condition, IBD. It's one. It's the main one. There's also eosinophilic. There, there are different types of uh, cells that cause inflammation within the GI tract. But uh, lymphocytic plasmacytic is probably one of the most common. They find 
that hydrolyzed protein diets, and here's interesting, mixed protein diets seem to help. And what they're getting from this is that it's not the protein then. So what is it? It's the non-protein ingredients in foods that could be causing this allergy. Because when they're using other proteins, there does not seem to be the same incidence of these allergies, of these problems in the GI tract. So, you know, we used to think, well, it must be a particular kind of protein that because it could be causing it. And, um, and now we're learning that it may not be. So that's interesting. So it's beautiful weather out there, at least lots of parts of the country. And now we know that we want to get out and, you know, from the sitting around on our behinds, not only because of winter, but because of COVID, that there are a, a lot of you that are trying to get out and spend a little time, take advantage of our nice weather and um, get your pets out there exercising. So one of the big warnings we have right now because of the heat, and I mean, we just had a little mini heat wave here in LA. I know again, for LA, it's all relative. In Palm Springs, it was 110, 112, and very dry heat. That's one benefit we have out here is that it is dry heat, not uh, like muggy, like back east, or certainly like in the southeast, where you have a 85, 90% humidity, and uh, it's, it's not even raining and you're getting wet. So here in LA, we have a lot of dry heat, which is great, but it gets hot. So you want to get out. You want to try to exercise your pets. You're being careful, wearing masks. You're going places where not a lot of other people are going. However, you know, still got to be careful about a heat stroke. And so what to look for. So first of all, when the dogs start panting excessively, salivating excessively, and literally start slowing down, like you know your dog, you know, you know the pace they can do, you know how they keep up with you when they literally, like, <laughs> and, they, and they're really having a tough time. Check their tongues. If their tongues start to get like a, a deeper blue or, or like a purplish color, clear signs of heat stroke. So what you want to do immediately is stop, get into shade, give them some water. And if they don't stop, you need to get them for help immediately. I, I've had dogs come in with heat stroke, temperatures above 106 degrees. That's, they cannot sustain that for very long. It will just start shutting down the organs. So that's way too hot. So Remember, when dogs, the temp normal temperature, just so you know, and if you do a hiking a lot, it would be a really good idea to carry a thermometer with you. And you can get one of those digital thermometers. They're very effective. They, they're rectal or, or oral, obviously, with your dog. You're going to go rectal. You should learn how to do it, how to take a temperature. It is very, very important. And um, so the normal temperature for dog is 100.5 up to 102.5. Now, Again, if you're out hiking, if I got up to 103, but everything else is normal, I'm not worried. But if it starts creeping above 103.5 uh, or 103.5 or greater, um, you need to really take note. So um, always have plenty of water with you. Make sure you take plenty of stops. And of course, areas, look for always areas in the shade. And it's very important to avoid heat stroke. And kind of like rattlesnake bites, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You need to know where the closest vet open veterinary or vet or emergency facility is just in case there's a problem. And like I said, if you are hiking in areas where there's snakes, make sure to get your rattlesnake vaccine. It's not a cure. It's not going to stop the reaction. It doesn't mean you just can, oh, don't worry. He's bit my snake, but well, I gave him the vaccine. No, 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 no. You still have to get him up, get him to the vet as soon as you can, but it will buy you some time. And uh, always a better, a good idea is despite the willingness to get out there is to you want to get them exercising out early, early in the morning or late, late into the evening. But one warning about late evening, even though it might be cooling off a little and depends where you are, it may not be cooling off very little at all, but it should. But remember, 
from the hot sun beating on pavement, especially blacktop asphalt, it is very, very hot. It retains its heat for hours. So no, again, you still can do it. Be careful, but watch their paws, watch their feet. You might want to get these little paw pads or paw protectors, uh, little booties, something to can, uh, help them uh, protect them from the, uh, the, the uh, hot, hot asphalt. So here it is. Here's the story I was talking about earlier. So pets help their parents during the pandemic. They help reduce stress and they help the quarantine period be less overwhelming. So maybe that's why we are seeing such a surge in pets. In fact, I was, I was listening. I was out in my car this morning listening to a radio broadcast and they had a guest from a rescue, a pet rescue on. And what he was saying is that some of the rescues they work with, it's, it's like a group of rescues. They are literally getting cleaned out of dogs, which are good and bad. Why good? Well, good. Obviously, why it's good. Saving a life. We know how the benefit of pet parenting is, et cetera, et cetera. But why, I, why is it dangerous? Because you remember when 101 Dalmatians came out, every single time it comes out, Dalmatians start soaring in popularity. But what happens? People get bored of them. They're not always the best dogs for, the, for everybody. And um, so what happens is, now they want to return them and the shelters start filling up. My only fear is that in time, once life hopefully gets back to normal, that need for that pet may change and people change with that need. And sadly, some of these pets might be brought back to shelters. It is very sad, but the, the reality. I just got something today. It says, better than all the money in the world, better than gold, diamonds, or any material thing is the love of a dog and all the happiness they bring. So how true, how true. And we know it, those of us that are animal lovers certainly know it, and um, it is. It's the most unconditional love. It is amazing. Overheating, let's go back to that little story. You know, I don't, <laughs> these just come at me, and I don't really, miss, I should probably put them all together. But here we go. Factors that could predispose to overheating would be weight, all right, age, skull morphology. And so we know uh, when you talk about skull morphology, we're talking about brachycephalic breeds. Those are the breeds whose faces are like pushed in. It's like kind of taking a, you know, a six inch snout and pushing it to two inches. And so what happens is <laughs> when they get hot, when they overheat. So what are we talking about? We have chow chows are notorious for this. English bulldogs, French bulldogs. Trust me. I know about the Frenchies. And, uh, oh, interestingly, the dog de Bordeaux, for those of you who don't know, that is the French mastiff fantastic, fantastic dogs. And um, remember Turner and Hooch? Uh, that, was, that was Hooch was, uh, was one of these. They're, they're amazing dogs. Anyway, also interesting, here's a dog that doesn't fit the mold at all, but are prone to overheating. And that's the Greyhound. So don't know why. It could be they do have very short coats, very thin skin. You know, I mean, they were built for racing, clearly the Sighthound. And um, it very well could be that they're getting the heat, even though it's not coming from the respiratory tract per se, like those other short-faced dogs, but something about their body mass, how much of it is covered by thin skin that may be absorbing more heat through that thin skin. So you need to be very, very careful with them. And I, you know, another thing, I, I can see this about greyhounds too, is that greyhounds, believe it or not, are couch potatoes. That's why they're such great dogs to rescue. They're great for apartments. They're great for studios because though they are built and meant for racing, when they're not racing, they will share the couch with you. They are great. But when they get out and are given the ability to run, that's where they're 
Greyhound comes in and they will run like crazy. So it may be the reason why they overheat is because they can't, by the time they realize how much they've overexerted, it's almost too late because they are just built for running. So they are running and running nonstop. And then all of a sudden it hits and it hits hard and fast. So that probably could be one of the reasons why we see greyhounds. Another thing to do with heat. We all know this particular product is very, very popular in cold weather as well. But it's also pretty popular in hot weather. And the name is misleading because we call it antifreeze. But it's also anti-overheating. And as I say, antifreeze acts to regulate the temperature, whatever that temperature is. It is going to protect carburetors from freezing but it also protects them from boiling over. Think of it as the thermos that you could, you could make your carburetor, all right, and your water cooling system into, I used to say the, the radiator, and the water cooling system into a thermos. So, so what happens when the water is there and it starts heating up, overheating, because during this hot weather, cars tend to overheat, it is the antifreeze that continues to keep that water in the cooling system regulated. So the radiator water is not going to boil over. You're not going to have the steam coming out of the front of your car, etc. Here's the problem is that all radiators have a little overflow. It's that little tube that comes off the side. So before that seal pops up and you really you blow your engine cooling system, a lot of the excess overheated water drips out. Well, what is dripping out onto your concrete driveway or onto the street? It is the coolant. All right. So we have the coolant with antifreeze in it. So what happens is that ethylene glycol, the active ingredient, is extremely, extremely sweet. And dogs love to lick it. So you have a little puddle under your car from the radiator that is boiling over a little bit. And the coolant that you put in there is now on your driveway in a puddle. Dogs will lick it up. It is extremely toxic beyond toxic. So you got to be very, very, very careful. It will cause kidney shutdown. It's literally, you got to get them to the vet right away. They need to be on fluids. It is emergency. So it is called ethylene glycol toxicity, and it is bad news. Unfortunately, it's the active ingredient. There was a little girl years ago who went to her congressman and, and had a petition signed. And it, I don't know if it, what happened ultimately, but they were going to be adding bitters to the antifreezes, and many of them have done this already, to make the taste extremely objectionable to cover up that sweet taste, which is very attractive. I'm hoping many, many companies have used it. It was supposed to go into a law. I don't know if it ever did. But anyway, look for the right antifreeze that is very lousy tasting so your dogs don't laugh it up. Anyway, we're at that time for a quick break. Don't go away. When we come back, we're going to talk about spay and neuter. Very, very important. But how the rules are changing. We'll be back in a few minutes after these short words. She's a purebred, orange and white, Brittany. But when we adopted April, she started scratching like crazy. I said, what you put into a dog is what you get out. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. So we added a huge scoop of Dynavite in her bowl. She looked it clean. She loved it. Her coat is now soft. It's silky. Dynavite is nutrition. You get some Dynavite. How happy your dog will be. A Dynavite. She's little Miss Hollywood. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 
Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber. You're here host on Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And uh, we're here, so we want to hear from you. Now, this is important stuff. I want you to um, listen carefully because rules are changing. And this can have an impact and effect on your dogs. And I'm happy to discuss this or send paperwork, support. If your veterinarians uh, don't uh, agree with this or haven't seen it, which is very likely, so um, anyway, this was a 10-year study, thousands and thousands of dogs done at UC Davis. They were looking at the effects of dog breeds, age, and of course, sex have on the spay-neuter procedures and uh, came up with a lot of things. So first of all, let's talk early spay-neuter. Early spay-neuter is prepubertal. Usually, I mean, for rescue puppies and kittens, they really have like very early, like they're doing it at eight to 12 weeks. I never like that. I understand why they need to do it. They need to do it because of problems with, even though people prepay, they get a voucher to come in when the dogs are older or the kittens are older and have it done. They don't. It lends to the, the problem with overpopulation. I get it. I wish there was a better way. But sometimes with these animals, I, I do agree that they need to be fixed before they leave the rescue or the shelter because owners out there just don't understand the importance. Let's talk. We're talking about animals that you have under your control. So early spay-neuter typically is around six months. Why six months? And this is one that really bothers me, and, I'm, and you need to know about it because it's so annoying. Small breeds have a tendency to not lose their baby teeth on schedule. We call them deciduous teeth, and the issue is retained deciduous teeth. Now, we know that the process of exchange from baby deciduous teeth to adult teeth is usually completed by five and after six months of age. Now, so that means you won't know before that if a particular deciduous tooth is going to be retained. It's going to stay in there and not fall out or be pushed out by the adult tooth that is erupting through the gum. Okay? Understood. They go ahead and spay the dog. They talk you into it or neuter at five months. You still got the things that are still waiting because they haven't started yet. And all of a sudden, you notice at eight months when you go in for one of your checks that you have two teeth. You got the adult and the baby. The baby never fell out. Well, how do you get the baby tooth out? It's not good to leave it in there. What do you have to do? You got to anesthetize and pull the tooth. Now you're going to anesthetize a young dog twice in two, three months? No. Do not let your vet or anybody spay or neuter until all the adult teeth are in, period. That way you'll know then that if there are also baby teeth still in because they didn't fall out on their own, then you would extract them at the same time as the spay neuter. When I see an adult dog come in already spayed and neutered and I look at the teeth and see retained teeth, I go nuts because that means I have to do a second procedure. And think about it. When you have dogs and you hear stories all the time about dogs dying from the surgery, it's not the surgery. The dog's not going to die because a tooth was pulled. It's the anesthesia. The dogs aren't going to bleed out from a spay. If it happens, it's so rare. No, it's the anesthesia. When they are going, it's because the anesthesia. It's not because of the procedure itself. So therefore, uh, you have to understand. Do I sound like I'm hyped up about it? Yeah, because I see it way too often. And it just, quite frankly, pisses me off. So 
Don't let anybody spay and neuter your dog before all the adult teeth are in. Now, having said that, eight, six months, seven months, eight, it's fine. If, as long as the adult teeth are in and ready to go, we still consider that prepubertal early spay neuter. And um, so small breeds appears to be not an issue. Whether you're looking at joint disease, we're looking at cancers, we're looking at organ dysfunctions, and there seems to be no statistical difference between waiting till they were a year, doing it at six months, as long as all the adult teeth are in. So with small breeds, you're pretty much off the hook. And interestingly, with these two giant breeds, there appeared to be no difference. Great Dane and Irish Wolfhound. We're talking giant here. These are, the Irish Wolfhound is the tallest dog on the planet. So these are big dogs. And for whatever reason, genetically, they seem to be no difference whether they are Prepuberly meaning you do them when they're six, seven, eight months, or you wait to a year and a half. And that's important because when we get to the other dogs, it makes a huge difference. All right. So with most small breeds, there's no increase in cancer risk. However, well, by the way, the overall cancer risk in the smaller breeds is usually a little lower anyway, especially bone cancer. But interestingly here, Boston Terriers and Shih Tzus have a significant increase in cancers with early with neutering in general, but especially early neutering. So there you go. If you have a Boston Terrier or you have a Shih Tzu, do not let your dog be neutered or spayed um, until they're at least a year, year plus of age. Females, you want to wait maybe a year, 13 months, because that second heat is going to come around 14 months. And you ideally do not want them to have their second heat, but you absolutely want them to have the first heat. And there are other papers out there supporting the possibility that even with small breeds, the risk of urinary incontinence as an older dog might be greater if they were pre-pubertally spayed or neutered. I spayed, we're talking about females here. So therefore, you might want to wait till they're before their second eat. I, my personal opinion is I like to wait till they're about 11 to 13 months of age. Now, on the bigger breeds, there's a lot of data to support waiting. And in one breed in particular, and this is a mind blow, for many of you that have them, they are very, very popular. One of the most popular dogs in the United States. And out of the golden retrievers, that spaying or neutering at any age, any age, that means any age, increases the risk of one or more cancers by threefold. So that means three times the significance, three times the number, the likelihood, incidence of cancer in a spayed or neutered golden retriever. Now, that's a game changer. So I actually did speak to, a, what do they call it, a reproductive specialist gerontology. And they, she told me it was like an aging thing also, that had she known, she was a veterinarian, had she known, and she was a golden retriever enthusiast, I actually met her at a conference. She's been practicing for many, many years. And she said, had she known then, early in her career, what she knows now, she would have never spayed or neutered any of her golden retrievers. And uh, that is a very powerful, bold statement. Uh, yes, there are going to be incidents of pyometra, but the pyometra incidence is low, less than 3%. So to worry about a, a, a very low incident condition in a female, when you are there subjected to many more cancers on the other end and problems, you know what? You run the risk. And what do you do if they, have, if they get a pyo? You spay them. You spay them later on, but it's a very low percentage. As far as other cancers, bone cancer, the original study, interestingly, was done on Rottweilers, that prepubertally spaying was uh, indicated a 35% increased incidence in long bone cancer. 
and prepubertal neutering in a male, a 65% greater incidence. So what I took from that, they use Rotties as the model, but there are way more dogs than just Rottweilers, large breeds that get bone cancer. So now my recommendation is for any large breed dog that the males, you don't neuter till at least 18 months of age, a year and a half, or even two. You still want to neuter them, except the golden retriever. Golden retriever is in a class by itself. And on the females, let them have their first heat, let them hit about a year of age, and then you want to get them, spay them around 12 to 13 months before the second heat, typically around 14 months of age if they read the book. If their first heat is delayed, like maybe eight or nine months of age, most likely seven months later, so will their second heat. You have maybe another month or two to think about it. But you do want to get them fixed, but you want to wait till later. So once again, to recap, small breeds, early neutering, good in Spain, good for everybody, except except the Boston and Shih Tzu. For large breeds, no early spay-neuter at all, except for two giant breeds that showed no difference whether they were early spayed or not, and that is the Irish Wolfhound and the Great Dane. So there you have it. So if you have any questions about this, you feel free to reach out to me. A lot of ways to get a hold of me, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Uh, you can just get me jeff at airvet.com. That's telemedicine. And you should all be signing up on a telemedicine platform. If your vet is currently on one, find out which one, sign up. If not, sign up on airvet. It is a 24-7 access to a real doctor. Instead of Dr. Google, instead of some online site, instead of an emergency clinic that is going to probably, co- not probably, is going to cost you way more then your doctor would. And guess what? 80% of emergencies aren't. And if you had someone to talk to at two in the morning, walked you through something, talked you through something, you go back to see your vet the next day or later on in the week, and uh, it'll cost you way less. And you get to work with your own veterinarian who I know you love very much. Anyway, that's all we have time for now. If you have any questions, anything you'd like to cover, feel free to get a hold of me. We will talk about it here online. Thanks for listening to us. And please follow me on my Instagram at Dr. Jeff Werber. I guarantee one thing. You're going to see a lot, and I mean a lot of cute puppies, kittens, dogs, cats, everything on my site, on my Instagram. Um, I just love taking care of them. And I like to take pictures to share with you how much fun I have every single day. So we'll be here next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. Have a great week, everybody. And thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.